Yeah, 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 that one. I knew I knew he'd do it. <laughs> it's right on time. All right, we're going to get started in just a few minutes. If you want to grab your seat, or in a few seconds, really. All right. Well, good evening. Good evening, good evening to you. Uh, what a great way to start this weekend! Just being grounded in the gospel truth. And also then allowing us to sit in understanding the clarity that needs to come with, with distortions that are beginning to take place or have been taking place in the church. And what I'd like to do is continue that conversation with a very specific topic. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that I really do believe it is an honor to share of God's transforming power in people's lives. And uh, I know that this is a very difficult conversation. As you see on the screen, we're talking about lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, Christianity. Um, because in today's culture, oh, anyone who talks about homosexuality from anything outside of the progressive acceptance is considered to be hate-filled, filled, arrogant, ignorant, uh, on the wrong side of history, and the list goes on and on and on. And so, and, and there's reason for that to some degree, and I want to talk about that in my time here, but uh, what I'd really like to accomplish here tonight is that you would hear just the opposite of all that from what I share, that you're going to hear God's compassion, his love, his mercy, and the truth, the unwavering truth of God. And so that's, that's kind of a challenge to do as we go through this. But I want to start out by reading a familiar scripture, I'll put it on the screen here, where it says, on 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, very powerful words there, neither the sexually immoral, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now what I would like you all to do, if you would, is just imagine, let's say, a 14-year-old boy He's Christian, loves God, is in the church, and he reads this passage about those will not inherit the kingdom of God. This young man is dealing personally with same-sex attraction. No one knows. No one in the church knows, but he is a, he's very much struggling with these things. Then he goes to Scripture and begins to read the other passages that are familiar with this concept, and he looks at Genesis 19, sees how God destroys two major cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? looks at Leviticus chapters 18 and 20, where one of it says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. He reads Romans chapter 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What does this boy hear when he's reading Scripture, which is life-giving? He hears at 14, I'm an abomination. I should be destroyed like these cities. He reads that I will not inherit the kingdom of God and that God gave me up. So what would you, as a church-going person, say to this boy? What would you say? 
Well, if you know your Bible, and I, I think a lot of people here may know your Bible, you might want to say, and, and understandably, it is the act of homosexuality that God is talking about here that is an abomination. In Romans 1, he gave them up because they refused to worship him, not because of a struggle one faced, right? Or if they were to say, it is those who practice homosexuality, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, who will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're enjoying it, if you're practicing, if you want to go good at it, this is what God is, is speaking about. So that boy still hears this truth, may know these things, and still deeply struggles with same-sex attraction within. You still got to ask, what? What do you do then? Be obedient, kid. Be obedient. Well, that was me. That was me growing up. I struggled with same-sex attraction from my earliest memories of sexual awakening, raised in the church, went to the scriptures, read those passages, threw the Bible across the room going, God, if you don't want me to be gay and I don't want this, you take it away. Snap your fingers. Make it go away like a light switch. You just turn it off. You don't want it. I don't want it. Why can't we be on the same page with this? And so I deeply struggle with these things, but never once wanted to give into it. Never once wanted to accept this struggle as an identity. And yet each time I continued to, to struggle with the desires and feelings. I would cry out to God over and over again, take them away, take them away. This is where I first learned as the opposition to a ministry that I'm involved in would say, the goal is just to pray away the gay. That's the phrase. This is where I learned I couldn't pray away the gay. <laughs> it didn't happen. And I'll explain in a bit why I couldn't just pray away gay. This is a, uh, an old clip from when Pete, Mayor Pete was running for president, and he identified with this as well. If you had offered me a pill to make me straight, I would have swallowed it before you had time to give me a sip of water. It was a hard thing to think about now. It's hard to face the truth that there were times in my life when if you had shown me exactly what it was inside me that made me gay, I would have cut it out with a knife. Yeah, I'd agree with that, boy. And that what's fascinating is if you know this man, he has chosen to have a partner, gay partner, has a child, I believe. He took a route as an Episcopal Christian at one route. I chose with those same emotions and feelings, wanted to gouge it out with a knife in a process of trusting and obeying God. But it was not easy by any means. In fact, in the middle of this struggle, I would fall short. I'd give in to the, the very things of my heart, and, and the Lord's Spirit would continuously convict me of this stuff. And yet I would reach out and listen, and specifically with the church. What's the answer? The, the, the society culture wasn't going to give an answer of freedom from homosexuality. Of course not. But the church should have. When I was raised at the time in the Episcopal Church, if you know anything about the Episcopal Church, it is, as we're hearing about this weekend, a pretty progressive group of people. And even back in 1980s, in the mid-80s when I was there, there was affirmation of homosexuality. I actually served at a gay camp uh, as a cook or in a, working in the kitchen as a teenager struggling with these feelings. And even while I was there at camp with these Christian gay people, I knew God was saying, this is, this is not my plan for them nor for you. And so I wrestled, what's the answer? Is there freedom? Why is the church not talking about it? In those days, we hear the church speaking of a couple of ways. One is condemnation, right? Those gays will not go to heaven. Obey. 
or they're silent on the matter. There were a few churches that were starting to embrace homosexuality even back in those times, but ultimately there was a, a, the church was having a difficult time and struggling with how to respond to this issue. And as progressive Christianity began to take hold more and more, the, the, the differing views began to take place with the issue of homosexuality and the church's response to it. So what I would like to do in, a, in our time, uh, part of our time here, is talk about what those differing views are. Part of our time in this weekend is to bring clarity to these things, right? To look at the progressive Christianity and understand what's happening and what's the truth. And so we put, I put together a uh, document a few years ago, and you all have it in your package. So if you want to open to that, that'd be great. I want to say a couple of things about this chart before we dive into it and unpack it. First of all, this chart is not meant to judge any category, to say what's wrong or what's right. It's simply meant to uh, indicate what people believe in which column. And then, uh, now I'm going to bring commentary to it, and of course we can here, but the whole point of it was that if I went to the people I list in these categories and say, do you agree with being here? For the most part, they probably wouldn't want to be on the chart at all, but they would probably say, and many have, say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I believe, that's where I'm at, so that we can begin to make decisions and understand who we're listening to and what they believe. Another reason I believe this chart and this concept is very important is because if we don't know what we believe about God's, God's word and about homosexuality and about identity, we're not going to effectively be able to minister to people we're not going to be effectively be able to walk in freedom if you personally struggle with these issues. Um, and, and, and we want to be available, obviously, to communicate the, the power of God to transform lives. So I'm assuming when I speak on this chart that not everybody's on the same page. In fact, the ministry of Portland Fellowship is supported by a few churches. I spoke recently to one of the pastors of a supporting church went through this, and he goes, yeah, I'm not quite on your column. I'm over here at a different column. I'm like, okay, at least we know what we're talking about and the differences um, that, that we are dealing with here. So this isn't about right or wrong or whatnot. This is about um, recognizing what's happening in our culture. This is not about the gay community, by the way, either. This is only about the church community. So what I've done, the title is Differing Views on Christian Doctrine, Identity, and Homosexuality. It's used for discussion purposes because some, uh, and some authors and organizations may fluctuate between categories, especially in the way they may write books or, or blogs or communicate things. There are uh, two sides to this document, and they're separated, as you can see in the middle, by a belief or a mindset. And it's primarily about identity. It's not said there, but it's, a, it's a primarily about identity. On the left side, you're going to see let me go to that just so we have it up there, that change is not possible, desire, realistic, and or a focus. Okay, these, these, these two groups would say this. So let's start at the far left over here, which we've called the rebel uh, column or gay partnership. The idea behind this is that God made me this way to enjoy partnership. He made me gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and then get involved in a relationship of the same sex. The identity that they would hold on to is gay-compelled in the sense of it's determined by their feelings and their behaviors. 
I feel this way, therefore I am this. I act on these things, therefore that's what my identity is. The belief and the response, you might know this, this idea, is open and affirming. It's a celebration of gay relationships. And their biblical view, in a nutshell, is that there's a revisionist pro-gay theology and liberal sexual ethics. So each of those passages I mentioned that were very clear to me about homosexuality, there's been a revision on how they're interpreted and understood. And that nowhere in scripture in this category would say that a monogamous, loving, homosexual relationship is sinful. In fact, opposite, it's celebrated and blessed by God. That's the view there. The origin about the condition or the orientation, if you will, is that they're born this way. Again, God designed it this way. Their emphasis, might have heard this phrase, live and let live. And then, of course, gay partnerships and marriage. These uh, individuals and groups and people would be uh, strongly opposed to any kind of healing or transformational ministry. It says SSA, that means same-sex attraction roots, meaning there's some relational roots involved. They do not believe they're opposing that, any kind of contributing factors. It's simply biology born this way, as Lady Gaga would come out with the song, Born This Way. Some of the proponents, uh, Gay Christian Network is what GCN is, Q Fellowship is, is what they've called it now, Matthew Bynes, you might have seen him, he made the rounds on YouTube uh, a while back, a God and the Gay Christian. Justin Lee was the director of the Gay Christian Network, Mel White was a ghostwriter for, for Billy Graham, he wrote Stranger at the Gate, and Randy Thomas was uh, the former vice president of a network ministries called Exodus, which imploded a few years ago. So this group, Revel, communicates. It's perfectly fine, as we know. Okay, so the next one to the right of it is what we call resist. And this is a gay-identified person. So this gets a tiny bit more nuanced here, but we'll walk through this. The idea here is I'm choosing to be obedient with my unchangeable affliction. The affliction won't change, but I'm going to be obedient. Identity is they're comfortable with the LGBTQ plus label, and they find identity in Christ. The belief and the response is to love the gay Christian, celibate gay Christian, as is, and then encourage the abstinence. The biblical view is traditional. So with the biblical sexual ethics, they'd say, yeah, this, uh, sex, sexuality is meant to be between a man and a woman. That's how it was designed. That's where it's, it's allowed. Um, and so, uh, but, but God just simply loves and affirms people where they're at. The origin is that they're born with inclination of homosexuality or transgender, confusion, what well, wouldn't be confusion for them, but God did not design it this way. So it was a result of the fall. And then they are silent, of course, to healing and transformation, same-sex relational roots and other factors. Some of the proponents, and this is where it becomes important, important to talk about clarity, so we, we know what we're up against in culture. One of the more prominent organizations that are out there right now is called Revoice. And they're going around to churches, and they're really desiring churches, evangelical, solid Bible-believing churches, to embrace the ideology of Revoice, which basically communicates the celibate gay Christian thing. Wesley Hill is one of the speakers. He wrote the book, Washed in Waiting. I wrote down a few... Um, Workshop titles from one of the conference, Rekindling Hope as a Sexual Minority in the Church. 
possibility models in queer theory and literature, empowering the church to embrace the LGBTQ community and making the church a haven for sexual minorities. So there's, there's definitely a push of embracing the label. There's a quote from Washington Waiting that says, this book is about what, it's, what it means to do that, how practically a non-practicing but still desiring homosexual Christian can prove to live out and celebrate the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in homosexual terms. So it's very clear. It's not in debate. This is someone that would say celibate gay Christian is perfectly fine label to embrace. Uh, so, some people have, and it has in the past, the rebel column has been called side A. This one has been called side B in, in the conversation. So uh, one thing about resist, uh, at the bottom of this list, by the way, one prominent name that exists out there is Preston Sprinkle. And he has some amazingly uh, loving ways of communicating toward the gay community. Um, people to be loved is his book. Uh, we've had interaction back and forth, but he d will not embrace um, or recognize a transformational model, and he's very comfortable with the gay, la gay label. And, but meanwhile, he has been gained a lot of traction within the church to, to come and to speak to, to Christians, which is introducing this, this kind of relaxed feeling about we can bring gay people into the church. In fact, one of the uh, podcasts he put out was why the church needs LGBTQ Christians kind of list that whole, uh, whole sermon. It's a fascinating listen. It's a sad one, actually. So on the other side, so that's side A, side B. On the other side of this chart is a couple of other different groups that have some other nuances. The first one is renounce or repentance. The idea here is I surrender my false identity and my sinful behavior. So this is, again, one step away. I'm not going to claim this label as a celibate gay Christian, and uh, nor will I act on these things. The identity is God conquers. It's found in Christ, not in the struggle. The belief and the response is a call to repentance and obedience in Christ. The origin, and this is one of the more important ones in these nuances here, is that it's primarily a sin nature issue, a result of the fall. So why people are gay, lesbian, bisexual is simply because they're fallen people. And, um, and we all sin, and that's their sin. Everybody's got a sin to, to contend with. The emphasis is to support for godly living and recognizing that God will sustain us. And yet they are silent and sometimes opposed to healing ministries and recognizing relational roots. You may recognize if you're involved in this conversation some of these proponents. Uh, well, the Gospel Coalition, Rosario Butterfield, Christopher Yuan, Beckett Cook, and Sam Alberry. Now, I'd like to pause just for a second and share this. Everything we just read is good. You might be like, well, what's the, pro what's the problem with that? <laughs> You're surrendering and whatnot. And if there are Christians that say, listen, I I'm, I'm just believing this is a sin nature issue, but I'm going to trust God and surrender this identity and not walk in that confusion, I can't help but to applaud that. Right, so I, this, isn't a, I, this isn't a criticism uh, of this category, except for one small criticism that I think is important. And I'll talk about that when we do rebuild here in a moment. But this, this group, just like the resist, although I have struggles with resist, I'm grateful they're choosing obedience, even if they claim some identity. 
I think we should all be like, great. God says, obey me, right? (laughs) So I'm obeying you. And there may be some people who come out of homosexuality and for a season, they identify themselves as a celibate gay Christian because they haven't seen anything new beyond that and that's what their feelings are and they're trying to be authentic to, to themselves and to others. And so again, I don't, I don't criticize that. I just believe there's something so much more than that. The, the other issue with the, the identity component is that we should never identify ourselves, ever identify ourselves with things of the world, things that are contrary to God's purpose and plan for our life. I make a parallel all the time that immediately makes some light bulbs go off, and it's like, I know there's men in this group who have struggled with adulterous thoughts. You're married to a woman, not homosexual issues. You just had, you've looked at other women, and there's been adulterous thoughts that you've had to wrestle with. Would you feel comfortable calling yourself a non-practicing adulterous Christian? Set up a conference, write some books on it, and hold that label to yourself. I mean, I would hope you'd say, of course not. No, we we live in, in our true identity in Christ. But at the same time, again, I'm not going to criticize people who have already come out of confusion. They're choosing obedience. They're pursuing God. I just would encourage everyone to encourage that person not to stay there, but embrace everything God has for them. The same thing with renounce. If those who are wanting more than just a surrendered identity and behavior and, and meeting God in weakness, there's something more that can be offered. Do we believe that? That's the question here. And that's where we get to when we look at rebuild. The rebuild co- column is basically saying, my hope is in Christ for a truly transformed life. The identity is God created. So you're found in, it's found in Christ and his transforming work in us. The belief is that repentance, like renounce, and, uh, and discipline or discipleship toward obedience and healing is necessary. There's an intentional discipleship process that I believe someone who is confused and struggling with their identity can benefit from by going through that process. The biblical view is traditional biblical ethics, just like the other one, but, and that God heals, loves, heals, and redeems, or transforms, if you will. The origin is what really stands out between the last one, renounce, and the rebuild, in that, of course, it is a sin nature issue. Every single one of us The foundation to all of our struggles and sin is our sin nature issue, the fall, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it's a developmental issue, meaning there are contributing factors that play into the confusion of why a young boy is craving the affection and desire of a man to fulfill unmet needs or resolve wounds. This isn't just because I was born a sinner, but because we have an enemy who exploits us already and, and, and it causes confusion that we must contend with. I find it fascinating, the greatest of the two commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments, which means we need to contend with those things. First and foremost, God the Father, above all, and one another. When sin happened, yeah, it separated us this way, but guess what it also did? Unless any of you have perfect relationships in your life, Raise your hand, I want to meet you. 
Yeah, we, we have to contend with the sin of other people, the neglect, the pain, both, both caused upon, upon us on purpose or sometimes by neglect, but there's still going to be cont- pain we have to contend with. And we don't have time to go through the root issues of transgender and, and same-sex attraction struggle on a relational level, but over and over again in the ministry that we're involved in, we're working and discipling men and women who have been deeply wounded one way or another that need to contend with that relational wound and begin to walk in a newness and a transformed life, which actually open up new desires. And so, of course, the promoting here is that we promote hope and healing through Jesus, his church, and it can include counseling and discipleship programs. And some of the proponents here, as you can see, Joe Dallas, that's a, he actually was here, I believe, last year, two years ago. Uh, speaking, understanding homosexuality. Portland Fellowship is the ministry I'm involved in with a program called Taking Back Ground. And there's a couple others, Laura Perry, Denise Schick, and a list of others on the Restored Hope Network. So, again, the purpose of this is to recognize there's going to be different Christians in different camps. I struggle with that very first one, like I said, being even Christian, even being on the page, because as was said right before uh, the break, if you're not, if you're not, or prayed, I believe, if you're not truly submitting yourself to the Lord, you have the right to do that, but, but you're, not a, you're not a Christian. A Christian is someone who follows him and obeys him and trusts him. And yet these other categories, we'd say, let's, let's bring someone into the wholeness of what God designed. I, I loved the idea or the concept of understanding that God's intention has always been and continues to be to, to, to uh, restore what he originally planned for our lives, every one of us. And, and scripture even says, be perfect as your heavenly father is imperfect, is perfect. So uh, let me ask you, is any of you going to ma- be perfect this side of heaven? Anyone? Again, I want to meet you if you are. But scripture says to do that. So we press on toward the goal to win the prize, Right? We seek everything that God would have for us. We, do, we, don't, we don't limit that in any way, shape, or form. And so my desire as a disciple and lead others is that they would embrace anything and everything God would have for, for that freedom and that victory to be more and more like Christ and find the freedom that's found in him. On a personal level, I never, never thought about embracing the rebel um, column. I... I tried elements of the resist one, but I never took the label. I'm glad I'd, I wasn't counseled to stay and renounce because by walking through a process of wholeness and healing, the craving and desire for the same sex began to dissipate and, and an awakening began to take place again the way God intended his original plan for my life and allowed me to move into my masculinity that I, I don't believe I would have if it weren't for uh, the, the full counsel of God being communicated, which led me to um, my family, which this is my family. It's a, that's a very old one on the, on the handout, by the way. Those are the, when they were kids. Now they're all grown up. Uh, those are my family. I like to make it very clear that being married and have kids does not prove my healing. It just doesn't. Anyone can get married, and we're all adults here. Sex isn't that hard. <laughs> you can make kids, Right. So it really is a question of one's heart. Is the heart, has the heart changed within? And so even people who come to the ministry of Portland Fellowship and other ministries already are married, maybe have kids, maybe senior pastors of church, but have been harboring this brokenness and this struggle in their heart, looking at pornography, maybe doing things on the side. And so marriage isn't the goal, 
nor is it proof, but I have to say with full confidence, this is the blessing of the healing that God has done in my life, and I'm super grateful for what God has done. So I've been curious uh, over the years as to why the church wouldn't want to embrace and jump aboard this transformational model. It's like, why is that? Why would you not want the fullness of what God planned and designed and, and pursue the hope and healing? And I think there's a couple of reasons. I think culture has gotten in the way. The progressive Christianity has gotten in the way of this. Uh, the misunderstanding and misuse of the Bible has. So what I'd like to do is just take a look at a few of the myths that are out there concerning ministries like Portland Fellowship um, and, and Path of Life ministry. We uh, will have Q&A tomorrow, and, and Kathy Grace and myself, and we'll, we'll be here to answer specifically some of these questions. Um, but let's look at some of, of what we're up against here. First of all, I want to communicate what the purpose specifically of Portland Fellowship is. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ by proclaiming his desire and power to release people from sexual sin and bring relational wholeness. Our role is to help equip those who struggle to live out God's intended purpose and to offer a safe place for family and friends with gay-identified loved ones to respond with both truth and grace. Truth and grace. So let's look at these, some of these myths and maybe hopefully debunk a few. The first myth that I've seen is that transform, transformational ministries like Portland Fellowship, Path to Life, well, we seek to make gay people straight. That's the goal. I, I mentioned earlier the ideas and, and, and literally the line, in fact, they came out with a document, documentary called Pray Away the Gay, right? And that's kind of this catchy way to just say, just pray it away. The reason you can't pray away the gay is I'm going to make it very simple and quick here. Homosexuality at its core, you can write this particular one down. I think this is really important. Homosexuality at its core is a relational need, not a sexual issue. It shows up, the symptom, of course, what we see, all the fanfare, but it's a relational need. Relational needs cannot be prayed away. And, and a parallel to that is if you were a, a person dying of thirst, like you, you, you haven't drank water for like two days, I mean, you're dying, and you are a churchgoer stands there and, well, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed God would take away your thirst? Well, all of us would be, of, of course, that's stupid prayer. What we need to pray, because we need to pray, is that God would provide the very thing one needs to, to resolve that thirst. And so as someone's going through this process, the power of prayer is that we pray God would meet the genuine needs of one's heart so that they can find freedom and transformation. I uh, was on Geraldo in 19, right before I got married. In fact, that's how my, there, was a, there was a line on the bottom of the screen that says, straight now looking for wife. And, and I sat and watched this with my then girlfriend, embarrassed as all get out, not because of the gay thing, but because it says I'm looking for a wife and hadn't proposed yet. But that was, the, that was the title, even though we tried to make it clear. They just say, gay today, straight tomorrow, mockery of it all. But the, but the truth is that transformational ministries seek to see people become more like Christ. That's the desire. Some freedom from the sin and the struggle to surrendering to God and giving him 
all the glory, to allow him to meet the deepest needs of our heart. It doesn't happen by flipping a switch. It doesn't happen by a simple prayer. It happens from a long process of discipleship, care, and love for people who are needy and wounded. The second myth, transformational ministries are against gay, lesbian, and transgendered people. I got to wonder why. Why would they think this? (laughs) Why would they think that Christians would be against gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people. Well, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a book that came out by um, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. And they did this polling of non-churchgoers about what their perceptions and thoughts about Christians are. And here's what they came up with. Common perceptions of, of Christianity from the non-believers. 68% says we're boring. Now, some truth is, I'm, <laughs> so I'm not going to totally defend stuff here, but 70% says we're insensitive to others. 72, we're out of touch with reality. 75 says we're too political. 78 says we're old-fashioned. 85% hypocritical. 87% judgmental. And I imagine you can guess it. 91% when they say, what do you think about Christians? They're anti-gay. Does it make you happy? Make you feel, yep, that's right, we are. Or does it make you wonder, how are we communicating the transformational power of God for people who are deceived and confused? That we should be known more for, as they say, what we're for, not what we're against, right? Of what God has done and continues to do in people's lives. The reality is that Jesus came for the sick, the lost, and the hurting. Mark 2, 17 says, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So transformational ministries are for the gay, lesbian, and transgender person but to know God's will, his perfect will for their lives. And so if we're always on that side of things, I am for you, not against you. You may not want to receive what what I'm offering, what the Lord is offering, but we're for you, not against you. We're not condemning. The third is, the myth is that transformational ministries practice conversion therapy. Okay, so you might know about this. This is kind of a new, new topic in our culture, conversion therapy. First of all, I'd like to point out, because this is a clarity, uh, clarifying conference, this is a knowledge conference to kind of get understanding. There's no such thing as conversion therapy. It doesn't exist. It's a made-up term by the gay community, the, the opposition, to discredit and to make it sound like we pray away the gay and, uh, and we harm people, which we'll talk about in a moment. What the real term, what they're actually referring to, if you're going to think therapeutically, is called, rep- is called reparative therapy. Joseph Nicolosi uh, was the one who, who led that, uh, and that is a, a, a process it, back in the day of, of trying, seeking to have people find freedom and diminishing their same-sex attraction and increasing heterosexual um, desire through therapeutic endeavors. Currently, the new one, because Joseph Nicolosi passed away, his son is, uh, is leading the charge, and now it's called reintegrative therapy. 
Um, and there's a, there's a significant difference between redemptive ministries, transformational ministries, and reintegrative therapy in that um, one is seeking to have sexual orientation change. Portland Fellowship and like ministries, that's not the goal. The goal is to become whole. Here's another, another thing you can write down. The opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. The opposite, and some people used to say the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. I wouldn't even say that. The opposite of any sin is holiness, of course. The opposite of homosexuality is wholeness. It's walking in wholeness. And so we seek to invite people into a process of becoming more and more whole. Now, once someone becomes whole and becomes more and more in line with God's original intent, what could happen in that moment? Potentially an awakening of opposite sex desires, but it's not the goal. It's not what we pursue. The pursuit is to become more like the Lord and let him do that work in our lives. When I was going through this process, uh, again, we can go into a whole thing about root issues, but when, when a person's struggling with same-sex attraction, to a large degree, there's a fundamental aspect that has not developed, and that is the connection for the same gender. And so there's this need, this craving, this desire to fill that need. And so it's like the proverbial clubhouse. You know the clubhouse that says no girls allowed, right? At eight years old, that's the sign that goes on. By the way, if you ask an eight-year-old boy what, uh, if he wants to kiss a girl, the response is what? Ew, because she has what? Okay, so we all know this, and not for one second would any of you go, that eight-year-old must be gay, right? Because he doesn't like girls, and he only wants boys in the clubhouse, so obviously he's gay. No, we don't think that for a second, because we understand there's a natural development that takes place for kids growing, that they need to be affirmed in their masculinity, then the opposite becomes awakened, and usually happens around time puberty, so they all fit together. God's the one who designed puberty. I think that's fascinating, too. He could have done puberty at three months old or two years old, God forbid, but he didn't because he knows something has to occur relationally in order for that awakening to take place. So in this process of healing and wholeness, we walk through, we recognize that God wants to restore and heal through relational means. And so the, the truth is that transformational ministries provides biblical discipleship. And the important part here is that we, these are mostly oppositions from the world, but recently we've been getting opposition from the church. And the reason for that is because the church would say, well, ministries like this are doing conversion therapy, they're using humanistic approaches, or they're, they're more Freudian in thinking. And I can understand why there might be some elements of that, because there's some elements of truth about what Freud did say and about relational deficits and needs. But the important part that needs to be communicated is that anything that happens in transformational ministries can never supersede God's word, nor, nor contradict it, ever. But God has used all sorts of ways to help us understand and sort through things in life, right? We, we understand how the brain works, how the prefrontal cortex works, how the limbic system works because of science and wisdom. Those are all created by God. You won't find those descriptions in scripture. You'll find elements of it. You see Paul saying, I'm doing these things I don't want to do. What's going on inside me? So you can see elements of, of Scripture sh sharing this stuff. But the Lord unpacks these things and allows us to understand the, the, the brokenness and then the healing process as well. Four, transformational ministries teach, teach you to deny and suppress yourself. 
Well, this one's kind of hard because, again, from the world's, perspect world's perspective, they say you're born gay. So to deny your homosexuality from their perspective makes a lot of sense. It's almost like denying your skin color. It's as, as offensive as saying black people can become white and come to my ministry and we'll make that happen or white people can become black or whatever. It's that kind of offense because they, believe, we, they think we believe something that is birth can be changed. So from that perspective and worldview, I understand the confusion. But the reality behind this is, in a way, yeah, that's actually true. I got it, once in a while I get me emails from people uh, criticizing and saying negative things. One time I got one that was very, very simple. It just said, Jason, you're just denying yourself. That was the email. And I respond to all of them, by the way. I love responding, especially to the people who are in opposition. And I said to them, yeah, I am. I am denying myself. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's a, that's a, that's a hard message to hear. In fact, at one point, you want to hear a really hard message? When Jesus said to the masses, In order to be my disciples, I want you to do this. I want you to eat my body and drink my blood. And everyone's like, Whoa, no, no, can't do this. I'm out of here. And so many left, but the disciples left and says, you have the words of life. There's nowhere else to go. I will obey you and trust you in what you're asking me. So transformational ministries teach to deny ourselves, but for our intended purpose, our original design that God had for us. Charles Stanley, however you think of him, he has this great quote. He says that when you choose to obey the Lord, he will bless you. This is because obedience always leads to blessing. I've always told people who say they don't understand why God is asking them to do a certain thing, that if they will obey him, he will reward them with a sense of peace and joy that compares to nothing the world has to offer. Therefore, set your goal to obey the Lord and watch him work in your life. That is true in my life. It's so true in so many people's lives who choose obedience. Is it going to be perfect obedience? Of course not. That's where grace comes in. The grace of God just completely covers the sin when we fall short, which we do and we will. And then finally, the fifth myth that's out there is that transformational ministries, they ultimately harm people. And there's reasons for this claim, um, and there's mis many misconceptions that are out there, I, I believe. They're not true. That uh, ministries are seeking to help uh, cause harm in the sense of old electroshock therapy or making people feel bad for, for the struggles they have. And so we have to do, we have to be very intentional to proclaim this truth that transformational ministries brings hope and freedom for those who put their trust in the Lord. There's a lot of fake news out there, misinformation, right? That's a new buzzword right now. And, and the reality is there's so much misinformation, if you will, about what God can and does do in the lives of his people. And so that's the encouragement that I, I, would, I would ask anyone and everyone to, um, to, to seek out. We, we heard great stuff today already about what it means to just the core beliefs of, of trusting God. Um, but in, in just briefly, I, I want to I share transformation has seven points. Actually, let me, let me just say, because of just the time, I'm going to simplify this here. First, you need to know that God loves you in the midst of your confusion and your struggle. God loves you. 
You you need to believe that God's word is true and will guide your way, no matter what you feel about these things. We need to know that you're not alone in the struggle. This is where ministries like Path of Life and Portland Fellowship is powerful to come alongside others who who are dealing with this and going, I'm not alone. I'm a Christian who struggles with these things and there's hope. There's healing in this. I love what one reporter said at one point. Um, he says, uh, he, was com- he was talking to a gay, gay activist and then a pastor in Portland, and he, th- they have to do both sides of the story, of course. So they run to the gay pastor, or the, the pastor, the Christian pastor, and he says, do you have a message for the gay community? And the pastor says, yeah, I do. If you're gay or lesbian, I invite you to come to our church and let us together surrender our sin and walk in repentance. In other words, it's not about you and me. It's about all of us needing to die to ourselves and live for the Lord. We need to recognize that God designed us, that we weren't destined to be gay, that our identity is not based on feelings or behaviors, but rather in Christ. I like what Joe Dallas says in one of his books early on. It says that, you know, if a little boy is going around bike, 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 biting and barking like a dog, you wouldn't, as a father or a mother, say, you know what, you're, you're acting like a dog, you're now a dog. You're no longer my child. I'm going to treat you like a dog. No, a good father says, you are my son. I expect you to act like it, stand up on your two feet, and behave the way you were designed. So lovingly bring that person into rightness. Um, We need to know that ultimately God is able to heal these emotional needs and wounds. And again, we could have disagreement on this, like, no, it's just a sin nature issue. I would again argue to say that, that homosexuality uh, and transgendered issues are different in the sense of struggling with same s- or opposite sex attractions or opposite sin, uh, sex sin, in the sense of God designed it very specifically for a man to desire a woman. It's just from the beginning. A man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. There's nowhere, no provision in Scripture that says a man will desire another man. So one, even as we see in Romans 1, is unnatural, and one is natural. With heterosexuality, yes, there's going to be sin that has to be contended with, but God offers a provision for it. It's called marriage, and and experiencing and enjoying the sexual uh, connection between man and wife. There is no provision in homosexuality because it's brokenness. The only thing that can be offered in that is to surrender that to Christ and to walk in wholeness and healing and the joys that come with that. So Jesus has the power to heal and restore. And that's what I kind of want to end on tonight is recognizing that God is so much bigger than all these crazy voices out there, all this misunderstanding, and that we ground ourselves in God's word and his power to do an amazing work and invite the Holy Spirit to search hearts and minds and, and encourage each other to walk in that regardless of the world, what the world is saying, what the world is communicating. And, and, I, and I cannot but say, in all the years I've been in ministry, I've only seen such great things for those who have submitted their lives to God, who have walked the path of obedience and trust in him and do the deeper work of allowing God to restore and heal the hearts. So I hope that's an encouragement to you as we move forward. Let me close this in prayer. So Father, we do thank you for 
the truth that you set people free. You came to set the captive free. And Lord, however you want to do that, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to you. We ask that we as a church body would show compassion because we know that it is the compassion of God that leads to repentance. So if we know those who are, who are in the gay life or uh, in the gay church, uh, Lord, that we would be compassionate in inviting them into wholeness and healing um, what you desire for their life. So Lord, work through us. Uh, heal our own hearts and minds as we uh, submit our lives to you. And again, we want to honor and please you in all that we do, so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, that thank was you. awesome. Thank you. I knew it would be, but y'all didn't. Now you do. Um, anyway, just a few things before we leave for the evening. In the very back of your materials, you'll find an evaluation page that has like a line for each of the sessions. We'd really appreciate it if you would complete and fill that out. Um, and at the end of our time tomorrow, you know, we just tear it out at the back and we'll leave it on the um, on the table that you came in by the registration um, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, um, we'll be here bright and early at eight o'clock and there'll be scones and coffee. If you wanna come and join us and get some scones and coffee before Elisa Childers, then we'll start again first thing tomorrow morning at 8.30. Um, for those of you who want have questions, I hope you're keeping track of those or you can go to at the bottom of your um, your page that has like the whole schedule on it, it's got, you can go to slido.com. There are two Q&A sessions. The first one is with Elisa Childers. The second one will be with Janique and Jason and Kathy Grace. And so um, you have a one and a two at the bottom. It says go to slido.com on your phone, insert an access code. You can put that access code in and then it will, you'll be directed to ask a question. All of those questions, unless you choose to put your name in there, can be done anonymously, which is kind of cool. And you can read down through them, and if you see a question you like, you can like that question. The more likes a question gets, the more that it moves up to the top. Um, and so you know, then we'll moderate those questions and address them at the, that time. Please keep in mind that we'd appreciate the questions be truly related to the subject material. I have been in situations before where you know, somebody said, hey, I think I know the speaker's kids. Can you tell me if his kids' names are? It's like, we're not gonna answer those questions. <laughs> if you have that question, maybe address it with the individual personally. So anyway, thank you so much for coming today. I know it's getting late and I wanna respect your time for the evening, but um, I hope you have a safe drive home and a good rest of your evening. We'll look forward to seeing you back tomorrow morning. Thank you.